So you're going along in your garden, you're weeding and watering and mulching, and then bam, it happens. Harvest time is here and it tends to come in like a lion, especially if you're not ready. So in today's episode, we are talking all the strategies for making sure harvest doesn't drown you in vegetables, which is a good problem to have, but also a little crazy, and what to do if you can't find canning lids this year, because I can't either. However, I'm still growing a big garden, and there's still ways to preserve the harvest and do it right. So we're covering all of that and more in today's episode. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I have helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. So I think harvest time, this sounds so silly, but, but hear me out. It's the piece that nobody talks about in the garden because, I mean, obviously we know it's coming. That's why we're growing the garden. We don't plant seeds just to plant seeds. We plant seeds to get food and get a harvest. But it is formidable. If you have a garden of any size, like I have been doing this a long time and it sometimes still catches me off guard. Like you kind of forget that the vegetables are coming. Again, I know it sounds silly. You can laugh at me if you want, but it happens to me over and over. Raise your hand if this has ever been something you've dealt with. I'm going along. It's August. I'm getting, I'm thinking back to school and I'm thinking like, should we have fair and 4-H and stuff? And, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, there's 80 million pounds of tomatoes that are on my cabinet. Where do they come from? How did this happen? And I have to do something with them. So I would recommend as silly as this sounds, put harvest season or preservation season, pencil it into your calendar, into your planner. It doesn't have to be like in Sharpie, but just put a note that month and say, hey, this is coming. Don't forget. Don't forget you're going to have 80 million pounds of tomatoes to deal with. You will have to address the situation in the middle of back to school and everything else. Now your harvest season, it can really vary, right? It depends on your growing zone and all of that. Um, mine is generally pushed out a little further. A lot of folks, August is the month. Uh, for me, I will still sometimes be canning tomatoes in October, not because they're still out in the garden. No, no, no. The garden usually has snow in it the second week of September, but I pull the green tomatoes out and they're in boxes in my house until October. So I'm like canning and dealing with squash and all that. So from usually August to October is when I have to start thinking about what to do with the vegetables, the cucumbers, the greens, the squash, the tomatoes, uh, all of the stuff. So factor that in when you plant. And I would be careful even, I mean, if, you, if you're going to go on vacation or you have a trip, I wouldn't cancel it necessarily, but take into consideration that it could really squish some of your harvest efforts. Um, I had a reoccurring trip every September for many years. It was a week-long conference. And at, without fail, 
there would be a crop of something in the garden that would be like at red zone. This has to be dealt with right now the day I left for the trip. And it was just like without fail. So trips and vacations during harvest season, they're, they're doable, but you just got to make sure you got the stuff canned or frozen or preserved before you get in a car or on the airplane. And there have been many, many, many years and times where I am flying out the next morning and I am up that night late canning something or freezing something or dehydrating something so it doesn't sit and rot while I'm gone. This is the nature of homesteading, my friends. It's not a bad thing, but it is something to be aware of. And, and it really is, it really is good, right? This is, this is where the magic is really happening. This is where we're stocking the pantries and stocking the larder and tucking food away for later. And it's going to take some effort, right? If we're putting any amount of, any quantity of food, preserving that for later, it's going to take some effort. It's not a bad thing. You can really enjoy the process as long as you have planned ahead. So we're going to talk about all of that and more. I want to start with reminding you to watch the sneaky vegetables. This is a thing. You will be out there in the garden. You will be, you will be out there. You will not be ignoring the garden. You will be watering and weeding. And then somehow you wake up and realize there are a hundred baseball bat cucumbers under all the leaves. And you had thought the cucumbers hadn't started growing yet. And sure enough, they did. And they've been doing it on stealth mode. And then you're stuck with a hundred giant cucumbers that aren't great for pickles. And your kids are tired of eating them with ranch dressing. And you have to figure out what to do with them. So to avoid this, I mean, cucumbers are the worst. Green beans will do it to you a little bit. Cucumbers are hands down the worst. Take a note, right? Look on the back of your seed packet when you plant said cucumbers. If it says however many days, I don't remember what cucumbers are, 60 days, whatever, 70 days. Count it out and put a little star on your planner and say, this is when the cucumbers may be ready. Start checking them, Jill. Check the cucumbers because they they hide. Um, like so many times I'll be like, man, my cucumbers are just not coming along. I don't know what's going on. And I go pull back the leaves and I'm like, uh-oh. So stuff will come. Um, also watch your greens, your arugula, your spinach. Um, chard isn't so bad, but lettuce especially, they mature really fast. They'll probably be one of the first things you get to eat. And if you miss the window, it's all over because they start to go to seed and they get bitter. I mean, you still can eat them. They're just not as ideal. I have a hard time getting my family to eat them when they're bitter. Um, they don't, they don't like the heat. So that's why I've been moving my greens into more winter growing in our unheated greenhouse. You may not have that situation, but you could try cold frames, whatever, just pay attention to the greens because they will go quickly so much so that sometimes it makes sense to plant them, get some harvests, rip them out once they go to seed and get gnarly and plant something else in their spot. So that's an option. You don't have to do that your first year, but something to consider. Um, what else? Oh, another thing to keep in mind is a lot of vegetables are best tasting, best texture when they're on the younger side. When you let the zucchini get giant, when you let the cucumbers turn into baseball bats, when you let the beets get volleyball size, they're not as good. They're tougher. They they're more woody. The flavor is not as great. So plan on getting some of those plants out of the ground sooner versus later. Now, on the flip side of that, if you're planning on saving seeds, now, if you're a brand new gardener, this may be a little bit of a stretch for your very first year. Not that you couldn't do it, 
but it's just something else to think about. But if you're going to save seeds, a lot of plants have to be complete maturity before you're able to harvest the seeds. So let's say cucumbers, for example, you eat the smaller cucumbers, but you let a couple turn into those big yellow, nasty, bloated cucumber logs. And those are ideal for using for seed. Um, you know, tomatoes need to be super mature. The squash has to be super mature. So it's a balance there. Save some for seed if, or, you know, set some aside to save for seed if you'd like, and then eat the others young. Um, but just pay attention because as soon as stuff gets big, it's not great. Maybe tomatoes are the exception to that rule. Big tomatoes are usually awesome as long as they're red. But the other stuff, like beans get woody. And you'll tell if you let your green beans get too big and stay on the vine too long. They, they're pithy and nasty when you snap them. They're not great to eat. So uh, take note of that. What else? Oh, a couple strategies for you. If you feel like during this harvest season, like some of it you're probably going to preserve. Other, other things you're going to eat fresh as they come in, right? Spinach is hard to preserve. Lettuce is hard to preserve. So that's something you eat as it comes. Um, I really like to try to craft my menus around the garden, which sounds obvious, but sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll kind of get into the habit of going to the store or you have your usually usual grocery store list and you forget what's out in the garden. And so some days I'll literally go pick whatever's out there, the beets, um, the summer squash, the beans, I bring it in the house and I will Google recipes using beets and beans and figure out a way to craft that into the menu rather than forcing, you know, I have a menu first and the produce has to come later. And that is one way that helps me, like the garden helps me to menu plan, if you will. Another strategy that I like to use is if I want to preserve something, like I wanted to put some carrots back or some cucumbers or things, but I don't have enough to make a big batch in the canner, right? Because in order to justify heating up your kitchen and getting all the canning stuff out, you want to have enough food. You don't want to do one jar. So I like to use quick pickling for that. And I have a technique on uh, my blog. I'm going to make a note for myself right now. Quick pickling link share so you can have that. Basically, it's a refrigerator pickle and you can do it with beets beans, carrots, all sorts of things. But you just can do a jar at a time in your fridge, no heating, no hot kitchen required. And that gives you a way to preserve some of the stuff that's coming in in handfuls, you know, because sometimes it's frustrating. You want, you planted a bunch of cucumbers, but they come two cucumbers a day and you need a bucket in order to can it. So quick pickle those guys, get them off your counter, get them out of your hair, and then you can have those as you go. And then you can potentially have that larger harvest coming later on. Hey friend, I'm interrupting this episode for just a sec to give you a very important reminder. If you have not yet purchased seeds for this year, I would recommend doing that ASAP. We are seeing some pretty crazy seed shortages right now, partially because a lot of people are gardening who didn't in the past, and partially because of some weird COVID stuff. And there's a lot of varieties that are selling out. So now is the time. I get a lot of people asking about my favorite place to order seeds. And one of my absolute favorite companies in the whole wide world is True Leaf Market. They're basically like a giant virtual seed rack. 
They have tons of heirloom and organic varieties, all the vegetables, herbs, cover crops, flowers, and even microgreens. Plus, their seeds have a great germination rate and they ship super fast. Head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash seeds to do some shopping. And just for my listeners, use code SPRING2021 when you check out to save $10 off your first order of $50 or more. Now, back to our episode. So the biggest thing I wanted to talk or speak to in this episode is some strategies around the canning lid shortage. So I'm obviously recording this episode. It's January. I don't know what the rest of the year will hold. Maybe all of the canning lid companies will just rebound and we'll have plenty of lids and jars. Um, I don't know. I'm not super hopeful because we've been low on lids, especially since last May, May of 2020, and it's not any better. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know why, you know, this is still an issue. I'm sure there's manufacturing things I don't understand, but I've had a lot of concern. Uh, I've seen comments coming through where people are like, I don't even know if I should plant a garden this year because I can't find lids or I can't find jars and I can't can my produce. So the good news is there are a number of ways you can preserve food and have it be good beyond just canning. Well, you know, my canning is kind of my favorite. I've written a canning ebook and a canning course and all that. I'm a big fan of canning, but in the event that it won't work, you have some options. So I'm going to take you through a few of those, their pros and their cons. But first, a few ideas for you is if you're just set on canning and you need the supplies. Um, the jars. I am having best luck looking at local stores for jars. I It's been iffy for me to try to order any online, which is cool. I'd rather get them local anyway. Like literally your, your big box stores or mom and pop hardware stores. They don't have an awesome supply, but I have seen several stores throughout the fall and winter that'll have a few flats of canning jars. As they get them in, maybe people don't snap them up as quickly right now. Check those places. Um, another great place to look for jars is on like garage sale groups, Facebook garage sale or Craigslist or places like that. Last year, it was kind of the beginning of the pandemic, so people weren't as hot to trot on jars. I got like, I don't know. 200 jars. I traded with a lady for some beef. It was awesome. And I still see a lot of used jars on there. Now they're going to get snapped up more quickly, but maybe put an alert in the search. So it, it pings you when someone lists jars and getting them secondhand is always awesome. I think as far as lids go, lids are a little trickier. Um, I have seen a couple places online, like Amazon, where they have lids, they make me a little nervous because if you read the descriptions, I'm, it looks like they're coming from China and I don't know the quality of those lids. I've also seen some with bad reviews saying they're knockoffs or they're cheap or they don't work. So buyer beware on the lids, make sure you're vetting the place you're getting them. I will say I talked to my assistant, Michelle, who's also a big canner, uh, I talked to her yesterday and she said that she's had luck uh, getting some lids from uline.com. It's the letter U, line, L-I-N-E.com. Um, they're kind of a more generic brand. They're not ball brands, but she was able to find some regular mouth and wide mouth. And now that I'm telling you this and all 40,000 of you listening, <laughs> go order from them. 
uh, they may not be, have them much longer, but I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. And then the other thing I'm looking into are reusable canning lids, not, now listen to me, you cannot reuse your metal lids. Those are one time only, but there are a couple companies who make, they're a plastic lid with a rubber gasket. And I tried them many years ago and I was kind of like, meh, it was okay. I'm going to try them again because we're all kind of to the point of desperation right now. And I'm willing to give them another try. So I ordered some lids from this one particular company this morning. I don't know how long it'll take to get them here, but I'm going to use them. I'm going to record a YouTube video and, and show the process of using them for the first time. So you get to like see the whole process, whether I like them or I hate them. And I'll give you all the gory details. So stay tuned on that. I would love reusable lids to be a reality because it's less waste. We're not throwing things away. And I just don't like having to rebuy things all the time. I hate disposable things, you know, but sometimes it's unavoidable. But anyway, I'll keep you posted on the reusable lids. We'll see how, see how it goes. Okay. But beyond that, beyond the, the canning and the jars and the lids, what can you do? Let's say worst case scenario, you have zero jars, zero lids. You have, you still have options. So I would still absolutely plant a garden. I would not let that stop you. Not even for a second. Okay. First option, freezing. Freezing is good. Um, freezing, I think gives a superior texture to certain vegetables. Like I like frozen green beans better than canned green beans and so on. Um, I personally in the past, I don't freeze a ton because I like canning and we would rather use our freezer space for meat. But that doesn't mean you can't use a freezer. A lot of folks do. The pros of using a freezer is it's easy. You don't have to heat up your kitchen. Generally, I mean, you may have to blanch foods, but it's not as intensive as canning. And the texture, like I said, is better. Um, some of the cons of freezing is you will see a decent amount of nutrient loss long term. So Frozen foods generally need to be eaten within about six months to a year in order to avoid nutrient loss. Now, here's the deal. As soon as you pick a vegetable or a piece of fruit off of the plant, it starts to degrade. That is just how it works. If you leave it in your fridge too long, it degrades. There is a certain amount of nutrient loss in dehydrating and canning and freezing. Like it's unavoidable. We're just trying to keep it minimal. So the longer something's in the freezer, the more nutrients it loses. So keep that in mind. And the other thing I don't love about freezing sometimes, I feel like this is a little hypocritical for me to say because I love canning, but when it comes to freezing, this annoys me. There are certain vegetables you need to blanch. I hate blanching. I don't know why, because I'll can all day long, but blanching irritates me. No clue. Anyway, blanching is just a technique where you take the fresh food, like you take the green beans, they're snapped, they're washed. You dunk them in hot water for a couple minutes, and then you immediately remove them and dunk them in cold water. So you're not cooking them, but blanching can slow down nutrient loss and keep the colors of the food a little bit brighter. Um, it's not a safety thing, so you can skip it without putting yourself in danger, but it just helps the texture of the food be better. Like I said, I don't love it. It feels tedious to me. So that's another reason I don't love freezing. But again, if it's your only option for preservation, roll with it. Um, okay. Well, and the other thing to consider with freezers is the power outage thing. 
canning, that's not a concern. Freezing it is, but sometimes we just do what we got to do. All right. Another option with canning, we have freezing, we have dehydrating. I do personally have an Excalibur food dehydrator for years. I had the harvest harvest something. I don't know the round ones with the hole in it. They're like a dime a dozen. I've done both. They both work good. Um, dehydrated foods. The pros of that is they're very lightweight. They do not take up much space. It's always amazing to me. I will dehydrate a giant batch of apples and they all fit into a jar when I'm done. It's pretty cool, right? They're easy to store. You don't need a fridge. You don't need a freezer. They can be room temperature. The power can go off. It's all good. Um, it's also a really good way to dry herbs. That's awesome. Now the downfall of dehydrating is that sometimes depending on the food, they can have the most nutrient loss of all the preservation methods. So again, I mean, sometimes, I mean, we're always going to have some nutrient loss, but dehydration ranks right up there with the most. And the other thing, there's just certain dehydrated foods. Um, there's a lot of recipes out there for things where you dehydrate it and you, you know, reconstitute it with water. And I just don't always love the texture. And I feel like sometimes I don't know what to do with certain dehydrated foods. Like, yes, you can add water, but it's not quite the same as fresh. And I'm always kind of in limbo. That's not to say you can't figure it out. And I'm just being picky. <laughs> that could be an, also what's going on here, but keep that in mind. There are certain things I love in the, for, in the dehydrator, jerky, pears and apples. What else have I done recently? Fruits are good. Bananas, of course. So you can do a lot of great snacky foods in the dehydrator, um, but it's a good option and it saves a lot of space. Oh, tomatoes. I have a, a home dried, sun dried tomato thing I do. And it's awesome. If you get just a few tomatoes at a time, stick them in the dehydrator and you're good to go. Um, okay. Another option is fermentation. And that's a little more like maybe homesteading 102 versus 101. It's not hard, but it's generally not the first thing people will go to for preservation, but it's fantastic because it's one of the oldest forms of preserving food for later. And it's really good for you. So the pros about fermentation or using that method is it's actually really safe, which a lot of people assume it is not because they're seeing this giant jar of cabbage on my counter bubbling and making weird noises and smells. And they're like, I don't know if that's safe to eat. And the, the truth is, is that, um, because of all the cool bacteria science action happening in there, it, the acid levels keep it very, very safe. So you do not have the same concerns with like botulism as you do with canning. So it's very safe. It's incredibly nutritious be because it has all that natural bacteria. So it's great for your gut. It gives you a natural probiotic boost. And the other thing I love about it is it doesn't necessarily need special equipment. Sure, you can get a crock like your great grandma had, or you can get airlocks and all the snazzy stuff. But technically, you could also just use a mason jar with a lid. And I've fermented for years with extremely simple equipment. You basically just need vegetables and salt and a glass jar. And that's pretty much it. Now, the downside to fermentation, it can be a little bit of an acquired taste. Like I've just noticed fermented foods are a little more polarizing. You either love the sauerkraut or you hate the sauerkraut. They do have a little bit of a tang to them. But my best advice for that is don't give up 
after the very first taste because we have to kind of teach our taste buds sometimes. You can learn to like these foods. And I've found this weird thing happening often when I'm, when I start to eat more fermented stuff, I kind of start craving it. Like my body knows what it needs. So give yourself a little time and you can also control the flavors. If you're fermenting at home, like I always hated store-bought sauerkraut, would not eat it, but I like homemade sauerkraut because it's not quite as strong. So you have a little more control there. Um, now another con to fermentation is that it does need some sort of cold storage. Like you put it on your counter for a couple of weeks and that's fine. But when it's done, it needs to be in a cool place, like a refrigerator or a root cellar, um, just to maintain it. If you leave it in a warm place, it'll continue to ferment kind of to oblivion. Um, so that's not a problem if you have just a few jars. If you're doing 50 jars of sauerkraut, you're going to need a whole separate fridge to hold that. Just something to consider, but it's a great option. And then the final preservation method, so we have canning, we have freezing, dehydrating, fermentation, is good old-fashioned root cellaring. And I realize that many of you listening probably do not have a root cellar. I do not either, although it is on the project list for this year. I have not had that as a reality up till now. That is how the old-time homesteaders and farmers stored tons of food, was a cool place in the dirt. <laughs> now, that doesn't work for tomatoes and cucumbers and beans, but it absolutely can work for potatoes, onions, garlic, squash, cabbages, all that stuff. So if you don't have an actual root cellar, you can always find a cool or unheated portion of your base of your house, like a basement or a crawl space or a garage, provided... It's safe from mice and rats, and it's not going to freeze, right? It needs to be cool, like 40 degrees, 50 degrees, but not going to freeze because that'll, that'll ruin all your cabbages and your potatoes. Once they freeze, they're gone. So there's a lot of ways also that people have figured out how to dig holes in the ground, right? And you cover them with bales or straw or things like that, and that can be a fantastic alternative on a smaller scale to a root cellar. So it's worth looking into if you're concerned about canning this year and having limitations around that, check out some sort of root cellar option. And that I think is all I have for you in this episode. So the main takeaways are plan on harvest being a little bit of chaos, happy chaos, but it will have an element of chaos. So have a strategy of how you're going to handle that and have it worked into your schedule. And take heart. If you don't have canning lids and you're concerned about finding them, just start to put into place some plans on what you can do instead. Like I said, I absolutely would not skip gardening this year just because of the canning lid issue. I would be running still full on hardcore into gardening regardless, because there's plenty of other ways to preserve. And remember, homesteaders, you know, hundreds of years ago didn't have canners. Like they, they started to kind of figure out some canning later on, but initially that was not even an option. So we can do this. We got this, my friend. Whew, good stuff. Love talking about gardening. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts, your questions, your revelations after this episode, feel free to shoot them over to me on Instagram, uh, or email. And if you want to stay in touch with me in between episodes and you're not on social media, you can join my email crew. I email about once a week. It's nothing overwhelming, um, but I send out a lot of cool stuff. So if you go to theprairiehomestead.com slash layout, you can join us and I'll send you my free 
how to lay out your homestead guide as well. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your support and your reviews and your ratings. They mean a lot to me and I read every single one of them. And we will catch up again on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. <laughs>